welcome everyone. You're listening to A Night at the Roundtable coming to you live from bbsradio.com, station two. My name's Caroline Oceano Ryan. I'll be your host for this evening. And I'm here with my wonderful co-host, energy healer and bioenergetics expert, Vinayak. And I believe that we will have, uh, yes, we do have energy healer, Randy Miller with us. We have our psychic medium and soul historian, Omina McGee, and our faction three white knights, Rama uh, Arjuna and Tara Green. And of course, our friends of the show on the panel, Penny and Micah. So welcome to everyone. Our guest in the second hour will be Tony Armstrong, author of Happiness Education. So we look forward to that. And this is, of course, a very interactive show. Please do call in if you've got a comment or a question for our guest or any of the co-hosts. Happy to hear from you. The numbers to call for Station 2 are 888-429-5471 or 323-744-4841. And again, that's 888-429-5471. Or you can call 323-744-4841. So we'll have our guest on fairly soon because he's on the East Coast. Uh, But we'll start off right now with a brief meditation from our wonderful friend, Vinayak. So I'll pass that talking stick to you, Vinayak. Thank you very much, Caroline. And hello to our listening audience. And of course, our wonderful co-host and our guest speaker. I can hardly wait. So with that, I'd like to invite you to settle in. Meaning, wherever you are or whatever you're doing, can you take just the next five or ten minutes just to be with yourself? to allow yourself to just relax. You remember that glorious feeling when you just reach that point where you just can let go. So just remember that feeling right now. And even better, experience letting go. And we'll start by taking some deep breaths, which always is a wonderful way to begin to relax, to let go, and to just feel who you are. Notice where your breath is inside these beautiful bodies. And tune into your heart and feel the energy that's there. And breathe. Beautiful gift. that's innately within you 
moment you took that first breath. Feel the magnificence and the glorious ability and the gift that that is. from our creator, from your creator, from all it is, from whatever word you want to put to it, something bigger than you gives you life. And it all begins with breathing. To relax and let go and just for a moment bring your awareness into your breath see if you can begin to sense the energy in your body as you breathe Perhaps you'd like to ground down, allow yourself to ground into the beautiful Mother Earth, this feeling of gravity and the knowingness that this beautiful planet is always supporting you. And as you think about the waves going in and the waves going out, it's kind of like the earth herself is breathing. Breathing in and breathing out. And many other examples. Some of you tune into nature. The trees and the plants. Some of you can actually sense them breathing. Now that you feel completely grounded, make sure that your root chakra has sent down that cord, anchored yourself to the earth, your feet are firmly planted in the earth. And something really miraculous starts to happen. You feel the energy and the nurturing love that the Divine Mother Earth gives back to you. So bring that, all that energy, all that nurturing love, that frequency and vibration, bring it into your heart. Let's pause there and take some deep breaths once again. 
acknowledge. Let's appreciate our heart for the pumping of the blood that courses through our bodies and nurtures us, nurtures our bodies the way the Mother Earth nurtures you, nourishes you. When you're ready, after deep appreciation for who you are, And for the life that you are experiencing right now, allow that energy to rise even higher. You might sense it in your throat. As it goes a little bit higher, it rises into your brow center. Some like to call your third eye. That ability that gives you to Visualize and imagine all coming from your third eye. And now, if you choose to, I'd like you to experience the crown upon your head. For we are indeed Kings and queens. We are royalty. And we are that deserving of those titles. Can you allow it? If you can, did you notice that your crown expanded? And now there's more energy flowing into you. And as that energy comes in, you want to shoot forth the energy from the top of your head into the beautiful cosmos above you, into the skies, the galaxies, the multiple star systems where we are indeed greeted by our brothers and our sisters, our star families. Some of you may even remember your galactic origins. And bring that energy back down. Just allow it to flow down into your body, into your heart. And expand that energy field now out from you. Starting with your heart. Throughout all your energy bodies. And let yourself keep expanding. Feel that energy, the size of the city that you're in or the countryside that you're in. You might even encompass the whole planet. 
Can you allow yourself to expand that much? Can you allow your love to expand out from you that long, that far? And as you do encompass this beautiful planet Earth, are you able to feel the love that's coming back to you? Back into your heart center. And now, I invite you to sit back Relax, open your mind, and open your heart as we give you tonight's presentation with our guest speaker. And I now pass the talking stick and say namaste and thank you, Caroline. Very beautiful. Thank you, Vinayak. Uh, This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, how our energy gets so constricted and we feel that we're really small. And I was thinking this exact thing today. What if we just imaged ourselves as being that same energy that flows everywhere on the earth or everywhere in this galaxy or even the universe? And what is beautiful, open feeling we would get? What an expansive experience we would have. And that would be the real experience of who we really are, not this very false constricted one. So thank you so much. Um, We will hear from our wonderful co-hosts. Right now, we're going to call in our guest, who's Tony Armstrong, wonderful educator and author, because he's on the East Coast. So rather than have him talk until 11, which I know we ask our co-host Omina to do very often, um, which is unbelievably late to still sound uh, copacetic, um, but rather than do that, we'll have him in the first hour. So I'll just do a, a brief intro. Tony Armstrong holds a BA in psychology from Boise State University and an MA in political science from Phillips University in Marburg, Germany. He received his PhD in political science, concentration in international relations from the University of Washington in Seattle. And he was an assistant professor of political science at Wesley College in Dover, Delaware for 30 years. And he just retired last year. He read The Course in Miracles in the 90s and was inspired to write a book titled The Love Star, A Philosophy of Love. And he published that in 1999. And some of the foundational insights of that book inspired him to write Educating Angels, Teaching for the Pursuit of Happiness, which he published in 2013. Tony was invited to give a TEDx talk on happiness education in Wilmington, Delaware, and we'll play a bit of that. And then he offered a course at Wesley College called Happiness. He taught several sections of the course every semester for seven years, and then published his book, Teaching a Happiness Class in 2019. And he then wrote and published the book we'll be discussing tonight, which is called Happiness Education. And he published that last year. So we want to welcome you, Tony. Uh, He does prefer to be called that rather than a professor or doctor. So welcome to Night at the Roundtable. Very glad you're here. Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. 
Um, well, it's lovely to have you here. And I'm thinking that it would be great if we could play uh, a few minutes of your 13-minute TEDx talk, because it gives a really lovely introduction to this very interesting book. You know, people might be thinking, look, you don't have to teach somebody happiness. That's just intrinsic. It's just there. And I would say, looking, for, for instance, at U.S. culture and even some of European culture, are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure? yeah, yeah it comes right. automatically. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But you make some beautiful points in this uh, recording. So let's just listen to that for a moment. And I'll see, let me know. Um, we'll have our producer, Don, play it. If you don't hear it very well from my computer, but let's give it a try. Okay. Right. This is Tony Armstrong, TEDx in Wilmington. Empowering students' pursuit of happiness should be the explicit primary purpose of education. This is the most moral purpose of education. And it is the most in keeping with our democratic ideals because it treats children as ends in themselves, as beings with innate worth by dedicating their education to their own deepest aspiration rather than using them for the purposes of the state. Aristotle said, happiness is the only self-sufficient end. Everything we do is for the sake of happiness, while we want happiness for its own sake. Happiness is the deepest human aspiration. Of course, there's no consensus what happiness is or how to get it, but it is useful to simply acknowledge the happiness is a highly desirable feeling. It is useful because it highlights the importance of feelings. The subjective quality of our lives is the quality of our feelings. The personal value of any experience in the moment you experience it is what you feel about it. No feeling, no caring. It is the heart that bestows experiential value, not the cold reasoning of the mind. Ultimately, the value of education is what it contributes to the aspirations of a human heart to feel as it chooses. I grossly understate the case when I say that little we do in our schools is designed with this insight in mind. But what if it were? What if we took feelings, took happiness seriously in our schools? Would it make that much of a difference in kids' lives? It would make a big difference if we understand, understood empowering their pursuit of happiness in terms of enhancing their ability feel better than otherwise from moment to moment and in the long run. Can schools do this? Yes, schools have done this. I see five main components of a happiness curriculum. Inner awareness, social awareness, mental practices to feel better, expression and engagement, 
and inquiry. Inner awareness or mindfulness is the foundation of a happiness curriculum. Awareness of feelings turns them into matters of choice rather than automatic reactions. You have to be aware of what you're feeling in order to consciously decide whether you want to keep feeling it or not. You have to be aware of the connection between thoughts and feelings in order to manage feelings. Feelings are not directly responses to our perceptions, to what's happening. They are responses to our interpretations, our judgments of what is happening. So I'll stop it there. If anyone wants to see the whole thing, it's only 13 minutes, 13 and a half minutes. It's called Happiness Education. You just look that up on YouTube. Happiness Education, Anthony Armstrong, TEDx, if you want the whole description. And for me, this is just a, a sort of a revolutionary concept because very early on in that speech, Tony, you open by saying that, in essence, children are viewed by the state and by our educational system all pretty much as product, as little worker bees in the making and as consumers in the making. And so they're given a particular orientation in terms of given a particular perspective, say, in the U.S. on U.S. culture and tradition and history and given a particular set of priorities, how to be a good student, be a good citizen, etc. And then given uh, this perfectionist grading system in, in most schools, which is soul crushing to a lot of children and the narrow sort of expectation. Everybody has that one learning style of just sort of reading and then remembering what they read or hearing it. And then, you know, regurgitating that on a test when so many there's, there's seven, at least seven learning styles. And so having said all that, when you pitch this or suggest this to people who are out in the field, actual say grade school teachers, First of all, have you have you had discussions with them and do they come back to you and say this sort of thing wouldn't be allowed? We don't have room for that kind of curriculum or even one uh, once a week seminar or class for that. What do they say? Because it looks to me like it would clash with the overriding expectation and um, the drive toward uh, worker productivity that's that's in the American system. Yes, and I would uh, clash with uh, a number of interests in education. Uh, a lot of people with, who are teachers think, well, okay, well, what I have to do with that, I'd lose my job. Uh, when I've, I have had a number of discussions with the uh, faculty and uh, education department, and uh, we'll say, well, yeah, we teach some things about well-being, and uh, the nursing uh, department probably goes the furthest in teaching. Uh, some of the things that go along with this, but um, when you're, if we're going to talk about some of the main outcomes of education as it is, it is teaching students to be obedient and accept drudgery. And there are some people in our society who find that um, actually a good outcome. It serves their interests. You mentioned um, a, a number of. of these things, but uh, people who are interested in workers, for example, being yeah. obedient and accepting drudgery. And that, of course, when we're speaking about using them for the economy, 
demeans their worth. Treating people as ends in themselves is the moral imperative. And teaching, treating our children as something other than ends in of itself is um, especially obscene. So um, I, there, actually what is happening now, I mean, it's, it's been uh, seven years since my book came out and, and uh, about that amount of time for the TEDx talk. There has been uh, a lot of movement. There has been um, discussions about happiness education in, in academic circles at least. And there have been more and more teachers who, uh, for example, uh, teach mindfulness and other things uh, that are associated with uh, the what you might call the science of happiness, positive psychology. And because they've had so many uh, findings uh, that support much of the things that, that I say ought to be taught, that they have been accepted generally in, in society and they are being used. Uh, so there there has been some uh, big change. But what I, what I found is, is that uh, where they're teaching these things, like mindfulness, sometimes yoga, meditation, in, in classrooms it's individual teachers who are doing it. Of course, we're not having education uh, departments at the state level or, or um, accountability tests that measure these types of things. But there has been some movement, I believe, in accepting it. And what I find interesting is also the, um, the teaching of happiness class in New Delhi, which is in New Delhi, it, it's... Um, become a required course, and that has grabbed the attention worldwide of people. They find oh, this well. a very interesting idea. So I do believe that there is some movement, some preparation towards this type of education. Well, you know, that is just brilliant. And I have heard of meditation being taught in the schools, which is just universes away from what I remember schools being you're right that it's got soul crushing aspect of turning us into these objects that just get ready for a life of drudgery and to respond reflexively to authority as I heard one gentleman put it um, the only place that also that you generally jump up and move when you hear a bell ringing is either a prison or a school and um, factory yeah and (laughs) Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> um, and that goes back to the 1800s. So I, I feel like any movement forward, I mean, I, you must be cheered by the fact that some schools are allowing um, yoga practice in phys ed as well. Now, down south, it took a long time. I remember one of the school districts down south, I don't remember what state, might have been Louisiana, I don't remember exactly, but they specified they weren't going to allow meditation. Apparently, they felt that was anti-Christian, and they weren't going to allow the names of the yoga postures to be spoken in in, in Hindi, uh, in the <laughs> Hindi language. Uh, you could say it in yeah. English, you know, thereby rinsing it of all. <laughs> foreign influence, quote unquote. Um, and I, I feel like if schools would just implement meditation as a nat- nature, you know, part of part of uh, part for the course uh, on all levels, all grade levels, this could metamorphosize students lives, particularly dealing with being abused in the home or being neglected 
and not having that automatic center, which is the reassurance of at least one loving and caring parent um, who's not working three or four jobs. And, you know, there's so many people just just doing all they can just to survive and also helping them deal with social pressures and bullying. And to me, just even the mindfulness aspect is just miraculous. Anytime I see a school district that is allowing that. Um, but what are some of the other uh, issues? Now, you mentioned in your TEDx and in the book, there's there's these five pillars of the happiness education. And one of them, other than the inner life, it, are the social pressures or social situation. And can you describe what you mean by that, the social aspect? Uh, well, the social aspect, first of all, um, let me say that I was teaching in the happiness class a lot, and um, a number of my students who have children in schools were talking about some of the things they're doing. For example, gratitude lists, which oh, of course wonderful. is a big, a big thing, you know, with the happiness at, uh, research. And um, the research has also shown uh, just miraculous type of things with teaching mindfulness in schools. It's been studied a great deal. And it's just like you said that that uh, children who have different uh, difficult home lives and and problems, it has transformed their lives in many and uh, shown in many of these studies. So yes, it, it, the potential is, is is pretty great. But what was your last question again? Well, you start out with these five pillars. Oh right. And the second was social. Um, something I'm trying to remember what what the full term is. I've got your book here. Uh, well, social and emotional learning. Um, yes, that is yeah. a program yeah. that was started, I believe, in the early '90s, <clears throat> and it has been um, uh, something that has has uh, been taught in tens of thousands of schools since. But uh, they are getting children in touch with their feelings, and one of the important ones, the reason I to bring in the social is, is that it has groups of children talking about, in groups, talking about their feelings and sharing their feelings, and children are can see that their own inner lives are the same as the inner lives of all these other kids. They actually can appreciate just how much they are the same inside. And so I, I, I find that a very important uh, part of happiness education is, first of all, it, uh, it makes you think about what you're feeling. You start hearing about uh, other people's inner lives. And one of the things that happens is, is that when you understand someone, just how much they are like you, there is this appreciation, this connection, this love that comes as a response. And you can imagine how that would transform the lives of so many kids. That they learn early on that everyone seems to be pretty much like they are, have the same things going on inside them as they have. And that lowers the bar of, of fear that we have in our relationships with others. So I believe that that is a very important part of happiness education. 
It really is, because by the time kids are nine or 10, as they're going into that pre-adolescent stage, they start to look at one another differently, get more competitive, I think. And they're heading into the teenage years where they're going to be really competitive and certain people are going to seen as having everything all pulled together and others kind of a little bit and others just hopelessly unpulled together. And to establish a commonality emotionally would be really astounding really amazing I think in most school atmospheres that's that's very beautiful and it's really heartening to hear that I haven't worked in the public school system in quite a while and it's it's really heartening to see that um do you find like what do you find is the hardest thing for people to grasp about happiness education in terms of what happiness really is because for instance you you point out in the book that most people will feel that their emotions are mainly caused by something outside of them, something in their external environment. And they're always wanting to shift the externals of their life and to get what they want. So they feel better. And so, you know, there's this focus on change your outer life and you'll feel better, you know, and certainly that's, that's still, I think in our school systems, as well as how most people think and feel. Um, But in fact, um, you're pointing out that the data received through our senses, what we see and experience really does not have any meaning until our minds give it meaning. We interpret, you right. know. You don't have to be spiritual to know that. Yeah. I mean, just... yeah. Basic science, <laughs> basic <laughs> neurology, and um, it's it's basic psychology as well. Yeah. And I mean, I'm wondering, you know, in a culture like this, which is so action oriented and so it can be still kind of materialistic, no matter how much people are struggling now, there's still a materialism alive and well in the culture. And I'm willing to wondering, do people balk at that part? <laughs> or do you, what, is that the hardest part to get across to people? Or if not, then what is? Well, yeah, actually, when, once I explain it, it's difficult for them to deny it. it, it it's at, uh, in teaching my happiness class, the uh, first thing that I, the first day of class, after I have a little med- meditation there. But um, I would say, well, Aristotle said that um, everything we do is for the sake of happiness. Happiness is the only thing we want for its own sake. What do you think? Do you think he's right about that? And they, I haven't had a student say no. I said, yeah, happiness is really important. What is it? And then I go around the classroom having every student say, what do you think happiness is? And it, when, when it, the feedback I get from this, you know, that students, when they're talking, they talk about the class and say, yeah, and he asked what happiness was and hardly anyone ever thought about it. I said, what? You were never asked about what the most important thing of your life, what it is, in all your years of school? <laughs> and yeah. uh, no, they haven't been asked that. So when I, I get in, I say, look, that, so happiness is, is important. What is it? This becomes the key focus. I say, I'm going to give you my view, and this is a class where where everybody should think for themselves. But I'm going to make the case that happiness is a feeling. Yeah, pure and simple. And actually, there are a lot, uh, a lot of people uh, who disagree with that. For example, they use the word well-being, which has other aspects to it. 
or flourishing. But so I, I said, this class then is going to be about feelings, the nature of feelings, the sources of feelings, and the causes of feelings. That is what this class will be about. And that is what the class is about throughout the end until I get to the last lecture, which is about happiness education. So when, when I have discussions with people saying that, well, happiness is a feeling, and I, I give my, my reasons for it, and I say that I'm not saying what, what it is, but it is crucial to get the agreement of a general idea of happiness because that is the problem. People have are all over the map. It's like you said, you know, is that, that happiness is when I make it to the weekend, happiness is having a bunch of stuff. Some people say happiness is relationships, which is actually getting pretty close to what the, the, the uh, research shows. But that is the difficult thing, is to get people to, let's go into what happiness is. And I've, I go through, <laughs> let's say, a lot of, of thought process, etc., to get to the point, to get them to agree that happiness is a feeling. And um, that's the next part of, uh, of it is, is to show that happiness inherently, or any feeling, is not caused by the outside world. It is something that is caused by your interpretation, your judgment of your perceptions. And, of course, you're feeling all kinds of things without even relating to the outside world because you, every time you're thinking, it's causing you to feel. So that in, inherently, it is inside. You are creating it. There is no other way around it. That um, what's important here, though, is that the explaining, the getting into the whole thing about feelings, is that I say, okay, feelings is the most important thing, but what are they? And I say that I see two different categories of feelings. One of them are emotions. And uh, you might, just as an aside, say that emotions are, I mean, like I told us this as well, are the feelings kind of brought about by the ego. They are what we used to consider as negative, um, anger, fear, resentment, unpleasant types of feelings. And they're aptly called emotions because they move us to change what we're feeling, to do something to change what we're feeling. That emotions are really a, a core motivation for most things we do in life. And I said, but there are some feelings. I have this quote uh, from Anonymous that happiness is the feeling you're feeling when you want to keep feeling it. And I said that that actually is a, a pretty spot on um, definition of happiness, a feeling that you want to keep feeling. So I said, there's another category of feelings that when you're feeling them, you don't want to change. You want to keep feeling them. And I call it, I could go later on to the triumvirate of feelings that people talk about after have uh, near-death experiences or cosmic experiences. Love is a feeling that once you're feeling it, you want to keep feeling it. 
joy, you want to keep feeling it. Peace is something that you would wish would never end. They're self-sufficient. They're not caused by the ego, and I make an argument that actually they're inherent to our very being. That's what the Buddhists say, right? Is that you can't just think these feelings with thought. You just have to get thoughts and mind out of the way to let them rise up so that you experience them. Uh, those are the two categories. And this is, this becomes kind of the discussion of, all right, this is uh, the basis of what we're looking for, and this is the uh, inherent nature of human experience, that we are moved, our prime motive in life are those feelings that move us to change what we're feeling. But our main goal in life is to experience those feelings that are self-sufficient, the ones we want to keep feeling. So feelings aren't just an aspect of life. They are what moves us in life, and they are the goal of what we're going after. So they are absolutely crucial to our experience of life and to what we are. So I, I really... <laughs> I really push this idea about feelings, and I don't have any arguments after I've explained it because they never thought of it like that. Yeah. But yeah. of course, I do. They look at it, this idea that they're actually created from within by thoughts and our judgments, and we can control our thoughts and judgments if we learn to train the mind to do that. And of course, um, interesting. Let me just break in and say this is the interesting thing because we are led to believe happiness just kind of comes and visits us when it feels like it, like the butterfly sitting on your head, sort of a thing. And in fact, um, it's something we can actually navigate our way toward quite intentionally, but we have to be aware of all the things that separate us from feeling positive and good about life. And that will take some training, that will take some thought, because the mind is very specifically programmed, I feel, in most cultures to think in terms of of productivity and just getting things done, pushing through the day, fulfilling responsibilities, things that are not happiness-inducing, because... The idea is, well, you'll be happy at the end of all this when you get your reward. Well, for working hard and for concentrating and getting things done. Well, uh, that reward is often it becomes after a while, not only vacation or weekends, it becomes our retirement. And then people are faced with realizing I didn't make the choices that made me happy. In fact, there's an amazing quote I saw. Um, recently that there's a book called Regrets of the Dying. It was written by a hospice nurse, Bronnie Ware. And she says that many of the patients that she nursed in their final days of life regretted most that they'd lived a life other people expected of them, not the life they really wanted to live. And um, is this something you address as well? Um, Well, yes, that's a basic ego fear. Yes, yeah. That you have to, um, you have to protect yourself. You have, and I see ego as basically a constantly changing image of self that needs protection. And because it's constantly changing, it is inherently feels insufficient. It is, and you can never feel that that 
whole uh, that the ego has about its self-worth. And so that drives us a great deal. And so many of our desires that that we go after that um, gives us a little bit of respite, if you will, from from the bad feelings when we they're satisfied, but they didn't constantly wear off. And that has been kind of taught what people have been taught to go after. I mean, it, to me, it's kind of strange because there have been so many books about how important it is about attitude and enjoying things, you know, it's the, it's the little stuff in life. All those self-help books have been pointing, say, no, it's inside you. And uh, still, that people didn't get the memo for some reason. Yeah. But, yeah. but it, it, I, I, there is that kind of understanding that knowledge, and of course, it's really blossoming now uh, with the um, um, spirituality and, and ascension, that how important, I mean, all the messages through the channelings saying, it's your feelings, it's your feelings, and it's not caused from the outside world, it's, it's within, you've got to turn within, and that becomes kind of the main direction, I would say, of I have a chapter on, on that of you know training the mind, and that's that is basically training to go within mindfulness, of course, in this sense is being mindful of your feelings and your and the thoughts that connect with them and I would start in kindergarten with that in fact, mm-hmm. mindfulness has been very successfully taught in kindergarten. Kids love it, they love the ability. Oh. To feel what they want to feel. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking about something that, that kids really uh, love and to get into anyway. And, and you know, the, the, it's if the way of training the mind is a simple thing to understand is where you focus your mind is going to dominate your experience. And your feelings. Yeah. So if you're focused on what's making you you're afraid of or angry, uh, if you're uh, focused upon competition, etc., that, of course, is going to create those negative feelings. If you are focused on things that are make you feel positive, and here I go down a list of, of kind of the techniques. Appreciation. Learning how to appreciate every little thing in your life, being this is, requires mindfulness, of course, but to appreciate the little things in life. You know, the, the sun shining through your window in the morning, you know, that, that um, people smiling. And I make an argument um, that actually appreciation is love. What you appreciate, it is the experience of valuing. And appreciation, the feeling of it is joy. That when you focus on all the things you appreciate during the day and something can disturb you, say, well, I'm going to change my focus over here. makes me feel better. And it could be just you could focus on what's out there in the world. You can focus on on, uh, some memory. You could focus on... um, some creative type of thing that you're doing, you know, singing. Um, you can focus on, on uh, the beautiful flowers out in front of a shop or uh, 
the trees or the birds, <laughs> all these little things, if that you learn how to focus on that, it will miraculously change your life into feeling much better than otherwise. And as I also make the point is, is that when you learn to appreciate everything, you're going to notice the things that people do there, that, uh, the kind type of things that people do, the, uh, their, their smiles, their, how people treating each other nicely, you start noticing that a lot. And I say, look, if appreciation is love, you start becoming a lot more aware of all the love there is out there. And that is a good thing. <laughs> Talk about uh, uh, really changing our, our not only inner lives, but we're starting to, because the whole thing of, of frequency, we're changing the world with all these little things. And that goes into relationships, etc. But the other one, of course, is gratitude. And I believe gratitude and appreciation are pretty much very, very close. I'm just kind of a, a bit of a different focus. That's why this whole thing with gratitude, gratitude list uh, works. I mean, that that's the research shows that that works. And a very important one for me, and this is one of the most difficult things that people come across is, is forgiveness. Is that you can be feeling, be practicing all the other techniques to feel better. But there's always that fear, the anger or whatever that's hiding there is going to come out. And the only way that you can get rid of it is to forgive it mm. and to learn how to do that. And, and it's difficult, um, for, but this is, this is one of the things that, that's all kinds of websites and things on, on forgiveness. But um, I think I have to go with the spirituality and that is that, look, it isn't easy to forgive uh, so it's a lot better if you can ask for some higher help and say, hey, yeah. you can help me out here. It's really that's, tough. That's a whole journey. Yeah, no question. That's a whole journey in and of itself. Absolutely. All of this is so brilliant. I just want to remind our audience, we're speaking with Tony Armstrong, educator and author of the Happy, of Happiness Education. And it's available, it's available on Amazon. Are all the books available on Amazon, Tony? I think they are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. If any of my co-hosts have a question, we want to open the floor up. Or if any, uh, anyone wants to call in with a question or comment, um, Tony will be with us for a few more minutes before we go on to the energy updates. But for me, this is just fascinating. Um, it's, it, it, to me, it's a sign of the new earth that anybody could even suggest <laughs> this be a part of a curriculum. And it is very heartening, the whole thing about the gratitude teachings and the meditation, the yoga and the mindfulness teachings in schools. Absolutely beautiful. And, um, you know, you, you comment in the book that you, you say, I've wondered if in the pursuit of wealth lies the hidden hope of possessing love, whether the pursuit of fame and prestige arises from the hope of inspiring love, if the pursuit of power is a subconscious attempt to compel love, we arouse guilt to demand love, we charm and manipulate to steal love. We seek love in the union of bodies and making others idols of our desire. 
in attempts to enhance the attractiveness of our bodies and personalities, we sacrifice in the hope we may thus be worthy of love. And that's one of the bigger things, I think, that people chase, hoping that happiness will stop eluding them as soon as they can sort of nail down assuredness that they are loved and that they can inspire love. And it's something that manufacturers make a ton of money off of people for. Um, and is is it... Do you feel like this is a term that love is a term that it's safe to mention in the classroom without somebody saying, no, you're going too far. That's too spiritual or no, that's too much of psychology. You know, um, how do you present it? I haven't had, I haven't had that reaction. Actually, when it it came to love, I I usually get um, a lot of nods because of the way I explain it is this, but um, children, you could see just how, naked their hunger is for love that the the need for love and they are going to be faced children are going to be faced with just what a hard difficult world this is when they so often they find their love love denied and for children it then becomes you're going to have to develop a way to protect that tender heart of yours in this cold world. And so all those things you just mentioned, you know, whether you're going for wealth, uh, all the other strategies we have to win love become the way that the adult has learned how to do it because um, it, it really just, it was a difficult life as a child. It didn't get that love. And so we figure out, we, we, Everybody wants love. Everybody fundamentally, I mean, a lot of people would deny it, but the truth is that is the experience that where they can feel whole, valuable, and safe. So everybody's looking for it. It's a difficult world to find it, so we come up with all the strategies. And, of course, none of those strategies work. But my... What I'm really pointing to there is, though, is that the love we're looking for is within yourself. It is said that as you give, you receive, and it's inherently true of love. When you're feeling love for someone or something, you are feeling love. You are having the experience of love. You are the source of the experience of love. It is the love you give is the love you experience. You don't directly experience the love of someone else, at least, you know, not, not norm, normally. I, I do believe because we are all one that, that we do experience it. But to understand that loving others, that loving nature, that loving all the things that you can love, which can call appreciation, you are receiving it. You have the experience. You are the master of your ability to feel love. And of course, that's not something that's taught to children or anyone else. But this is, in a, in a way, a revolutionary idea. The love I'm looking for is within me. Yes. Yeah. It's revolutionary, but it's, it's very old at the same time, isn't it? I think you. <laughs> yes, it is. A lot of wisdom. Uh, come, uh, traditions come down to saying that. Yeah. Um, you. I think um, 
quote Ramposh. I don't I don't know how to say his name Ram, exactly. Rampoche, yeah. Rampoche. Um, you say he relates the inside of centuries of Buddhist experience in explaining that in the blissful experience of a peaceful open mind, everything you see is made of love, which is just, I have found that the, the times I've been able to establish a peaceful open mind, <laughs> I have found that everything's got that shine around it that Eckhart Tolle experienced as well when he had his moment of enlightenment. And you say that Tolle speaks of the joy of being found in the experience of deep peace. And um, in fact, you kind of establish at one point that, that that the feeling of love and the feeling of happiness are based in in peace of of heart mind. I would I use that I use the term heart mind because um, that's of yeah the higher mind and the higher heart. Yeah, well, I, I think heart mind is uh, a, a very accurate description of it. It is. I mean, there's the mind, and uh, of course, only love is real. That's part of the mm-hmm. the understanding of uh, spiritual understanding, but. Uh, Love, of course, is is the most moral feeling. It it is it is the most joyous. But I also make the point is is that you you hear all these things, uh, you know, the cosmic experience, etc. The people come back and they talk about this insuperable love, and they talk about this joy and gratitude and this deep peace. They talk about those three feelings almost always kind of uh, as as some of the things they ex- they experience and that's why i believe that love is all three of those things the, mm-hmm. the combination of them that mm-hmm. love is joy love is peace mm-hmm. and this is why it is total bliss mm-hmm. yeah yeah very beautiful can I make a comment? Yes, go ahead, Omina. Go ahead. She's one of our co-hosts. Tony? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hi, Omina. I mean, I, hi, I totally agree with you. And I deal with an awful lot of people who are looking for love, as most of us do. But, you know, I think there's a very basic um, key to loving yourself. I think we have to totally accept ourselves the way we are the good, the bad, the indifferent of us, our moods. Our, we have to love every single part of who we are and how we express it. But we're never taught that at a young age. Yeah, and uh, very few people are ever going to actually hear that, even today, I mean, adults. Although that that is changing, but um, you know, I, I, I completely agree with you. It It, it, it is that acceptance, of course, that is appreciation. I mean, to truly appreciate something, you have to accept it. So, right. I, yeah. yeah, but we have to accept. In my in my space, we have to accept not all what everybody else likes <laughs> about ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of baggage that way, don't we? Well, and, we've inherited an awful lot of baggage. Yeah. See, to me, religion has ruined us. I agree. Uh, and I'm a good Irish Catholic. <laughs> and of course, there were great teachers about how religion ruined us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, because it, it sort of told you you couldn't think for yourself and that 
I mean, I was very young, told me, I was seven years old, told that I was going to go to hell if I didn't agree with my first catechism classes. That was the beginning of my journey. Yeah. You know? What's and the holy and, feeling of guilt. Oh, well, I don't do guilt. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's exactly. That is actually as guilt is a very moral feeling. Absolutely. I, I certainly do not do guilt. If I do something deliberately to you, then I'm going to own that. I'm going to own it. And that, I think, is part of loving myself enough to own it. Yes. Well, it, it is also, that's where spirituality comes in, is that uh, yes. we are kind of blind to, to our larger truth, so we do things. Well, and we yeah. learn from them. <laughs> But we do. Um, in the larger picture, it's all innocence. Well, I, I was thought we're made in the image of God, and maybe the goddess. But don't, don't dare act like it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You get a double message yeah. that you're made in the image of God. You have all that power. You have all that love. You have all that whatever. But don't act like it. Right. Well, well. Anyway, God, uh, God is a man with a beard, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, um, religion, as, as so many things are in this world, are about power. Well, religion is what we do. Spirituality is who we are. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Absolutely, that's right. That's what I tell everybody. It's another <laughs> Afco. <laughs> Yeah, Absolutely. see, that's the whole thing with the happiness education, is that when i pushing these things, so many of the things I'm talking about are inherently spiritual, but I can't say that. Because you can read that you understand that trying to change the public education system, you're not going to uh, be able to come in with a spiritual argument. And probably rightfully so, because we shouldn't be teaching people, I mean, kids what to believe when it comes to these fundamental things. But we would be guiding them to the experience that would lead them to spirituality if we could get them to turn in to Absolutely. appreciate and to learn to not fear others too. That it such a core thing is is to see people differently that are different from you and to understand that within they are the same. And if you can get a child to see that you have just removed so much in the way of of uh, fear and, and prejudice and the types of things that divide us. Because acceptance isn't just about ourselves, it is also about others. It's well, the, but the point is, though, when you accept everything about, like for me, if I accept everything about who I am, my good, my grumpiness, my funniness, whatever, Nobody else's individuality is a threat to me. Because yeah. if I accept myself enough, I'm definitely going to accept you on your journey. Well, accepting other, other people, their differences is part of the great adventure, isn't it? I mean, it's a wonderful world that you can, but it, we fear people we don't understand or alien. That is exactly. why I believe we have to get kids to make that connection that as different as people are, they are the same within. And you put a little bunch of kids in the garden in one room and they're all different colored skin, ethnic backgrounds, 
and they don't see that. Yeah. We yeah, well, got to be have to be taught to see that. Exactly. And they, and they, have, they are taught to see yeah. that. You leave That's them alone. Yeah. yeah, you leave them alone. Now, let's say you dress them all the same. They're all in overalls. <laughs> and so now you don't know the gender. <laughs> or, or who has money and who doesn't yeah, yeah. okay I will stop talking now <laughs> thank you so much Amina I think Randy Randy had a story he wanted to share a true story about a teacher and then we'll have to finish the interview um, but go ahead Randy thank you Caroline I have a story for Tony about a friend of mine who came here from Scotland and he was put from in where? a school from, he came from Scotland Scotland, okay. Canada. All right. And the first year of his, or whatever you call it, being a teacher, they gave him all the misfits, all the kids that failed. And he said to them, you wait. These kids you call failures are not failures at all. Because I'm going to teach him the three Bs. You can believe in everything. You can believe in nothing. But the most important thing you can do is believe in yourself. After the first quarter in school, all these kids that were D's and E's and F's, and they were all double A's. They fired them the next year because all the other teachers that give all these kids all these bad marks, they didn't like it that they looked so bad. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is the thing I don't think we understand that happens in the background. Yes. Myself. Uh, I had to go get a resume done, and they wanted the actual school records. They didn't want a written thing or a facsimile. They wanted a copy of the original ones from my high school. So I went back to my high school and asked the principal, who was my grade 9 teacher, for my grades. I said, what's going on here? I said, all the way during school, I was a D an E, and an F. All my grades on this thing are A's and B's. What's going on? Why the lies? He said, it's called the bell curve system. So that's, I learned at a really early age of how crooked the entire education system was. I said, and you know why I quit? You know why I quit school? Because you guys told me I didn't, I couldn't do anything. But I think the real reason you kicked me out is because I asked too many questions. And I challenged the teachers on their validity of some things. Yeah. The first thing I challenged them on was geometry. The fact that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 didn't make any sense logically. Why did you take the 1 from the beginning and put it at the end, and where did the 0 come from? <laughs> they didn't like those kinds of questions. Boy, you... <laughs> <laughs> wow. you, were, you were really... Well, you know, if you're going to upset the apple cart, if you're going to upset the apple cart, you might as well set it on fire and have a good shot. (laughs) Well, I had some of that myself, uh, is that I I could not figure out, for example, why gravity uh, that, like a feather would fall the same as a cannonball if there was no air around. I was thinking, I didn't figure that out. I and I never was, I always found that I never trusted necessarily what I was told that I had to figure it out. If I couldn't figure it out, 
I never quite trusted it. And so I was, I'll have to join you as, as having been a, a rebel. I yes. don't, I don't think I was that bad because I, I was still getting good grades and I wasn't getting kicked out of class. But that, that has been my life is always challenging the status quo. Wonderful. Excellent. We hope you can carry on doing that, Tony. Um, so we've been speaking with author and educator Tony Armstrong about his book, Happiness Education. And you can visit his website at happiness-education.com. And um, are people able to contact you through the website, Tony? Yes, yes. It has, has uh, an, an email contact Wonderful. room. Wonderful. We've so enjoyed having you on. I don't want to keep you much later because it's 10.15 at night on the East Coast. (laughs) And I feel bad keeping people late uh, when they're on the East Coast. But thank you so much. Really lovely to have you here. You've inspired us all. I think you've inspired a lot of people to be more mindful and more appreciating and grateful for their own lives as (laughs) grown-ups, And I would say if you're a parent, a teacher, working with young people, please get this book, Happiness Education. Um, It's not overly long, and it's all very interesting, and uh, I found it very fulfilling to read. So thank you so much, Tony, and many blessings on your continued good work. Well, thank you as well, and blessings back to you. Thank you so much. So, all right. um, Wonderful. Uh, so I'll turn to my co-hosts here. Uh, if anyone would like to give an energy update, that would be great. And if anybody's got a quick cash update, we don't want to go on too long with uh, the updates, but uh, Randy or Micah? Um, uh, mine is 13 minutes long. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, is it? Um, it's a very important thing that was discussed last night in the public cash meeting about Ukraine. Oh, golly. And I think everybody should hear it because right. he explains it down to a T. Okay, right. are we ready to go? Yes, that's fine. Thank you, Randy. Go ahead. It's just loading. Give it a sec. All right. This is from... Jan asked a question six months ago. Mr. Cash said, we, together as knowledge seekers, ended all wars. And now we're on the verge of a war that might lead to World War III. How would he explain what's happening in Ukraine? And Dan's question is similar. Whose decision is it to kill people in Ukraine? Is Putin's soul deciding um, those who die? Let me, let me explain something. We don't have a war in Ukraine. I explained this very, very clearly in American teaching a couple of weeks ago. USSR never died. Russia, as a USSR, was never dissolved. Each country went on their own and they called themselves what they like. But the nation of USSR, the government of USSR, was never dissolved. Ukraine is still part of USSR and is not who decides. It's the USSR as a collective nations of what we call the bigger Russia have decided they're going to keep their property and their territory. This is a Vatican war. 
Vatican tried to attack, tried to take over the Church of Russia, which is even richer than Vatican. And they could not get into it. Church of Russia has asked, as the administrators, protector of the church, the state of USSR, headed by Russia, and other nations of Russia, the 12, to protect the motherland. America will never go into war because they know they're, they're just barking like a dog, as I call it. Russia has the right to protect the assets of USSR. This is what they don't tell you in public. And Vatican is financing this push, and there will never be a war. We said 99% weeks ago that Russia will go into Ukraine to protect the motherland, the USSR. Russia is not invading Romania, not invading Bulgaria. Russia is keeping the structure protected from the push of the Vatican to NATO to push, pressurize Russia that they open on the back door the Church of uh, Moscow, Russian Church, Orthodox Church, to become assets of the Vatican. Get this very clear. It doesn't matter what you hear. Russia has not moved into create a war. Russia has moved into territory which belongs to it as a USSR. So Jan asked a question six months ago. Sorry, guys. We together as knowledge seekers ended all wars, and now we're on the verge of a war that might lead to World War III. How would he explain what's happening in Ukraine? And Dan's question is similar. Whose decision is it to kill people in Ukraine? Is Putin's soul deciding um, those who die? Let me, let me explain something. We don't have a war in Ukraine. I explained this very, very clearly in American teaching a couple of weeks ago. USSR never died. Russia as a USSR, was never dissolved. Each country went on their own and they called themselves what they like. But the nation of USSR, the government of USSR, was never dissolved. Ukraine is still part of USSR. And is not who decide. It's the USSR as a collective nations of what we call the bigger Russia have decided they're going to keep their property and their territory. This is a Vatican war. Vatican tried to attack, tried to take over the Church of Russia, which is even richer than Vatican. And they could not get into it. Church of Russia has asked as the administrators, protector of the church, the state of USSR, headed by Russia, and other nations of Russia, the 12, to protect the motherland. America will never go into war, because they know they're they're just barking like a dog, as I call it. Russia has the right to protect the assets of USSR. This is what they don't tell you in public. And 
Once again, is financing this push, and there will never be a war. We said 99% weeks ago that Russia will go into Ukraine to protect the motherland, the USSR. Russia is not invading Romania, not invading Bulgaria. Russia is keeping the structure protected from the push of the Vatican to NATO to push, pressurize Russia that they open on the back door the Church of uh, Moscow, Russian Church, Orthodox Church, to become assets of the Vatican. Get this very clear. It doesn't matter what you hear. Russia has not moved into create a war. Russia has moved in the territory which belongs to it as a USSR. Americans will bark. They know they're wrong. The Europeans will bark. They know they're wrong. And there won't be a war. This is not a war. This is correcting in what then later becomes civil wars in Belarus. We saw it in Chechnya and the others. Vatican is trying to push, using NATO as their slave, to push that we go, you go into Ukraine, we take the Ukraine, we put forces in there, or you give us the church of, what do you call it, Russia. It's not a war. This will never be a war. If you look at it this way, is there a war if America takes the Marine from the state of Arizona or what you call California to another state? Is there a war? The war is what happened in Ottawa in the last few days. That's the war of slavery by their servants. If you know the politics, geopolitics, Americans don't have the field forces. Unless they go high-level bombing, you high-level Russia, I said, Russian USSR military forces have said one bomb out of new, out of uh, what they call it, Allied forces on Ukraine, they flatten out New York. That's the territory. The Americans can bring sanctions, no problem. What's going to happen is very simple. This is the pattern we've seen over the years. Russia will win. They change the government. They take all these leaders who started becoming rebels, sold their um, what open business accounts on huge money in America and in Europe. They stole and robbed the nation. They'll escape or they take them to prisons in Siberia. I've been to one of them. I know what they're going to do with them. And then after 30 days, 60 days, or six months, Russians withdraw. They instate a pro Moscow understanding Orthodox Church of Russia, and then the barking will start in two months. Never going to be a war. Cannot be a war. Moving soldiers to protect the motherland, the same as you want Arizona and other states to be part of the United States. You don't let the Canadians take it or the Mexicans. It's the same. USSR, this is the problem which was sitting for years to come up and now has come up for the second time.
intrusion by Vatican using military forces of NATO on this side has caused this problem and it's not going to be over. There is another war. This is a motherland protecting this child. Russia has spent trillions in Ukraine. As I said, where your children try to grow and you let them go, it doesn't mean for others to wait. The motherland protects them. And this is what we see now, and this is a correction in a political dimension in Ukraine. It's not going to be. If soldiers get killed, or whatever we've seen it happening, this is part of the, what we call you have to look at it from the Russia. I, I've been very close to the Moscow and the what we call affairs of the politics in uh, Kazakhstan and Moscow, Russia for a long time. I don't support either policies or governments, but I stand very clear to see the reality and the truth for and how it is. Ukraine today is still part of USSR. The Russian parliament and all other parliaments of the 13 nation satellites should have dissolved the USSR. This would not have given the USSR on the instruction of the leadership of Moscow. Even if he wasn't Putin there, it would have been somebody else, he would have still had this position. Vatican is, you got to understand, Vatican did the same thing with China. All that uprising we saw in Hong Kong was the amount of the finance and diamonds Vatican sent into Gojo, into the Central Asia to create with the black people of uh, China problems. Literally, they came in as priests with bags of diamond. They sold it in China to start the war to divide China. China was aware of it. I know this exactly what's happening because they are part of the peacemakers. We know what happens with the government. And they isolated it to Hong Kong and they financed Hong Kong to break up. And we saw how the wisdom of the his excellent strategy of China brought this under control. All the mayhem we saw as all the pushes of the West in Hong Kong was financed by Rothschild and by Vatican. One of these was Rothschild guys was in the Cash Foundation six years ago. They penetrated the Cash Foundation through Russia to destroy the Cash Foundation. At that time, we had a big breakage in the work of the Cash Foundation. The number of knowledge seekers disappeared because of it. it. Was the same process because we knew one of the Iranian guys was connected to Russia, thinking I'm Iranian. They can break it through, but we are watching it with the work of the intelligence system. Go back to six, seven years ago, you know exactly what I'm talking about, measuring names. And then, with our work with the Chinese government, it was isolated. They were aware of what is happening. They got this sorted. They got the position sorted. So, they went to Hong Kong with all the time. You cannot imagine how much diamonds Vatican brought from Africa with the priests they brought in, went to China to create this, the splitting of the Chinese state exactly what they did. But this time, we were aware, the Chinese were aware, and the system kicked in and isolated in Hong Kong, 
And just saw all the battles we had for months, and then now, do you hear anything? All those leaders who got paid by the Vatican are in the government prison in China. We see the same thing now in Ukraine. Vatican, Russians are killing themselves to destroy the peace that they have to control, and it's not. I have no worries. I, this is not a war. This is protesting one another. Let me see a few box barking at us. And in six months, when they stated back to where it should be, present people, a few people on the streets will come and jump, which they get benefited by the NATO and the, what I call free slavery of the Vatican inside. They shout and power on the street. Otherwise, people of the um, Russia and Ukraine know exactly why the Russians are coming. Just because you left the side of a fence in your garden doesn't mean the dogs can come. You put a fence up, keep the dogs out. And that's just They can bark behind the fence as much as they like. So it's not that there shouldn't be anywhere unless something goes crazy with uh, somebody in the West. We don't see any. And I explained that to the American teacher very, very recently. Um, I've been part of this process for 40 years, and I work with the Russians and the Chinese in this for long enough to understand what is their point of view. Yeltsin once said, Mehrat has spent more beds of the presidential offices around Russia than I have. Then you know how close we are and how much we understand and the technology of the nation and the meaning of the This is not going to happen. You cannot, it should not happen. First of all, Europe doesn't have forces to match the worship. Secondly, if they push, the pipelines will close. You're not, you don't live in West in Europe. Um, winter cold time, Chinese, the Russians have chosen the best time to do because the pipelines, the prices will go up, the, the Germans and the rest will freeze and the nations will go on the street. It's very well tactically done, and the Western Europe relies on the gas pipeline from Russia for their heating and their life in the winter. They know what they're doing in a way. <coughs> the Americans can bark, but we will not see high rise whatever. Fuel field forces here and there, and secondly, Europe doesn't have that kind of military, especially with Corona, to stand. A full invasion from Ukraine into Western Europe, and it's not going to happen. Russia is just getting the chart back home in a way, which became a bit strange. It will shot and kick, but at the end, when the chart is in danger, but it will go. That's it. I pass the talking stick back to you, Caroline. All right. Thank you so much, Randy. Uh, I would be interested to hear um, Raman Tara's comments on that briefly, but I want to ask first if anybody else has got um, an energy update they want to share. Um, I don't know, Amina, if you 
want to pitch in anything. I know it's very late where you are, poor kiddo. <laughs> I know. And, and the other thing, too, it probably would take a bit longer. I mean, the the only thing I can say about energy and healing, because we're the world is crying out for healing, and mm. it can be a very complicated issue because it's more than a thought. It's actually work. We have to clean up our own energy. And that energy oftentimes includes energy from past lives that we've brought into this life. Yes. And because of our unawareness, we often repeat the same patterns, creating more negative energy rather than rather than transmuting it. So it's yeah. it's like you can't ascend on heavy energy. It's just not possible. It's the love energy that has to come in and understanding the feelings and the negative energy. It's amazing today. I was working with somebody and I'll make this very brief who came to see me quite a couple of years ago, but came back again, a young person who grew up in a very, 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 very violent home. I was beaten up badly as a baby, as a child, as a young adult, the whole way up. And now he's becoming aware of it because he's, he has children of his own and children will do that. They'll bring up your trauma. And he always found himself reacting the way his own father did on him. And he thought, oh my gosh, I got to do something with this. Well, that's post-traumatic stress, actually. But actually working with him, in the reading, it came up that he picked all these violent people to come into and be close to because three past lives, he was one of the most violent people on earth. And he came in to learn to hate violence. That just fascinated me. I mean, a very, very tough lessons. But actually, he's been working on himself all this lifetime and wasn't even aware of it. Because he, he, he studied Buddha and he does martial arts and and knowing that there was something wrong, but quite didn't know what was wrong. And of course, again, just anyone that's listening, if you're having problems, ask for help. Ask from your spiritual guides. Ask the questions. You're not going to get the answers unless you ask the questions. And they're the only things that's going to transmit our energy. And we're all looking for love, but we have to be able to receive it and we have to be willing to do the work to feel it. I pass the talk. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Omina. Beautifully said. I find this a lot myself. Um, And when Tony was speaking, I was thinking about all the wounds we come in with, never mind the ones we try in, in this life. And there's generally almost always from what I can see total alignment. Exactly. You know, whatever we suffer in this life, there's a reason for it. We've been through things in other lives. Maybe sometimes it's to show us, well, you put others through this. Now you're experiencing the other side of things. And sometimes it's to say, look, you're experiencing this pain again, because if you didn't have this to trigger the old trauma, you would probably just bury the old trauma and not know it's there. And now it's time to heal. And that's a powerful statement you made that we can't ascend with all this intense heaviness holding us down. And I, I completely agree that. So yep. thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, I'm wondering if our friends Ram and Tara want to come in with um, a uh, an energy update in the remaining time and and then uh, any news from Rama's contacts and any comment about what Mr. Cash said, because um, I hadn't quite drawn that line yet between what's happening in Ukraine and the Vatican. Probably most people haven't. And I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't mind some input from, from you, uh, you guys. So uh, if you would want to unmute, we're happy to hear it. I'll pass that talking stick your way. Greetings, everyone. I was having a little bit of trouble. I was just going to ask Randy, are you Carolina? I mean, I didn't exact, I I heard all of that about the Vatican and everything. And I didn't have any trouble with that. I, I, I pretty much knew that. I had a conversation earlier with someone that was talking about the Orthodox Church of Russia, mm-hmm. and they have nothing to do with, and they won't have anything to do with the Vatican. They're like at the opposite end of that pole. And and Putin is Russian Orthodox to the core. So that goes along with what the faction Three White Knights are telling Rama, that Putin is a contactee from Andromeda, and he's a good guy. And what is going on behind the scenes, good guys, bad guys, but um, is the oligarchs of the United States are putting with their own funds tons of military equipment into Ukraine because they they want the profits from World War III. They want World War III. And the Vatican condones everything before anything gets done. So this is the Vatican. Yeah. 100%. I could say, like Mr. Kerr said, Ukraine has always been part of the USSR, never got dissolved. And that is a piece you're not going to hear on any of the news, terrestrial news networks on this planet. And see, this is the same connivings of the Vatican, because as Kesh was saying, that the Vatican is using NATO as their slave boys. When I was growing up and I studied history like in the 60s, I remember Ukraine was part of the USSR. There was nothing different. There wasn't anything carved out, separate areas. And this happened in the last, you know, since the 60s with what, I call the old world order. That still thinks they're in power. Yeah. And but to when, see the old world order didn't get to do anything without the permission from the Vatican in the first place. Yeah. So and then, and to finish what I was saying before, uh, the Vatican wants NATO to go in there and take over in the Ukraine so that they can... Uh, uh, you know, can uh, you know keep keep the power and uh, encroach more on Putin's Russia? And again, we've all been brought up with fearing, you know, whatever that is in Russia. But Russia has trumped 
<laughs> pardon the pun, trumped capitalism way better than the United States, but they have a very small economy. Yeah. I heard that it's one trillion, the economy, their GDP a year is one trillion a year. In the United States, it's 21 trillion a year. I mean, the imbalance in all of this is, this is what Nassar is for. But to go back to my original question, was there something that Kesh was point-wise attempting to make toward the end that I couldn't quite understand? Uh, Randy, do you have something to say about that? What is it you couldn't understand? Well, I couldn't tell what he was saying at the end. It was a little hard to, to catch. What, what was he saying to rap at, toward the end? Oh, well, as best, I can just send you the clip. And then you can listen to it. You can stop and start it and listen to it. Well, do you have any idea what he was saying at the end yourself? <clears throat> Basically, he's just saying that, you know, it's all about protecting the motherland. And that also goes to do with everything else. And the fact that it doesn't, when you, and then this, <clears throat> that was a section that led up to a long time before about talking about the energy and how important the energy is of the human being and how everything is changing and how the fact that, and that the energy of a black hole is really exactly in the center, but it's the same energy as your heart. So unless you get into that inner core of that heart and begin sending it out, it can't come back. So it has to do, one important thing that was said last night, when you eat food, you only get 20% of the energy from the food you eat. You get the rest of the 80% energy from the energy field around you and the person that, you know, I take it also as the person that created the food. And he has always said, make your gans at the kitchen. Because there's love and energy and harmony and blessings in the kitchen with the cook. He said, make your gans in the kitchen and then go make your grands in your workshop or your garage and see the difference. I pass the talk to take back to you. Thank you, Randy. That was very impressive. I get it. Okay. So uh, if we were to translate that into Nasara law versus what we got of the remnants of the old ways. Are, are you sort of far away from the microphone, Tara? We can't hear you as clearly. Oh, uh, I haven't moved anything. Okay. Uh, can, my end. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can you hear me better now? Yes, that's fine. Thank you. Oh, okay. I, I was just saying to translate what Randy was just sharing that Kesh was sharing into Nasara law versus the outgoing energies. Um, I would say that. Uh, what was missing in the old system, just like Tony was talking about, uh, that happiness education isn't necessarily a thing when you're teaching children and sending them to school. 
uh, it's better to accept drudgery as a way of life, as he said earlier. And uh, basically, that's been a tool of this old order all the way through. It's part of the 13,000 years of mind control from the old matrix. Yeah, there was literally in the report today uh, on this very last day that was mentioned. Um, if we can start at the begin at the end of the of the report, um, um, I guess I could read this for everybody. Um, this is today's report from Rama, and Rama speaking. He says, "I received a call from." At 11.50 a.m. this morning from Tom the Ringtail Cat, Larry, Curly, Moe, and Sweet Angelique the Cat, they all said to me, Lord Rama, we are at Gobeki Tepe, uh, an ancient Sumerian ruin, which was at that time an observatory like our planetariums are of today. We are here, all of them were here, observing Gobeki Tepe, uh, sending out, in other words, the ruin itself, sending out frequencies, sound frequencies. The stones themselves are vibrating, sending out sound frequencies. To our son Saul. Yes. And then the first thing I said is, Okay, before Rama went on, I said, does that mean that you're saying that they are saying that they're observing sentience in the stones? Yep. Okay, yeah. And in ancient times, this was a portal, Gobeki Tepe, where people could use specific sounds that would act as instructions uh, uh, and uh, and then there was they could they could send those sounds as instructions to the portal itself as a sentient uh, sentience energy, and the portal would follow the instructions and teleport the people where they wanted to go. Going so sentient then sentient now. Answer. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, in present time, there is a conflict going on. It is between the oligarchs of this planet and the fallen angels off planet. Yeah. In other words, they're having a war inside the dark side inside with themselves. Uh, a house divided against itself shall fall. I think that's a famous, who said that? <laughs> who said that? I want everybody to answer at once. Somebody famous said that. <laughs> there was an artificial intelligence grid placed over Mother Gaia, as Rama was just bringing up earlier, 13,000 years ago by the Anunnaki, meaning the fallen angels. Matthias, a spiritual teacher from Argentina, says these fallen angels at that time were also called by the names of the, the Asir, A-S-S-I-R, and the Sophir, S-O-P-H-I-R. 
and we played something on one of our shows about that. This artificial intelligence grid is now failing as our sun goes through this transfiguration. The old matrix falls away. Now, the light coming in is overriding the old AI matrix. And that's why Kesh is saying there will never be a war in Ukraine. You know, I mean, Rama, I kept on asking Rama to ask about the two Russias, and Kesh just explained it perfectly. Like He basically stole my thunder, what I was going to talk about. <laughs> well, no, but that you had to ask the... Yes. You know, and... and uh, and uh, Cash agrees with the faction Three White Knights. They keep on telling us there will not be a war. And and then, you know, I was talking to Micah earlier, and I said, I'm not sure what you call this. It looks like the same thing they did in Iraq and Afghanistan. They invade and they occupy. But that's what the West does for the Vatican. So the difference is that Mother Russia is Mother Russia, and that's a war to take that uh, and keep that which is already theirs. And that's why the explanation that the USSR never dissolved has to be made, even though the Vatican lied and said all this stuff and all these agreements. But uh, anyway, the Vatican's been violating every agreement that was ever made. And the one that's really big about this is that the M- Minsk agreement which was an agreement that there would not be any further encroachment of the West toward Russia's borders. And 14 countries later, which are just separate corporate entities because there are no countries yet. That's what Nasarad establishes, uh, uh, only corporations. So we're moving very quickly right now. This is a this is causing glitches. This light coming in is causing glitches and malfunctions in the 3D realm as the matrix falls. This is affecting all of us through our emotions, which is what Tony was talking about. And uh, in a very deep way, what Omina was bringing up that, you know, you come this way and that's you know there might be some things about uh yourself that somebody else might not like but that's the way it is because that's who you are yeah and to appreciate yourself in all of your ways that you are (sighs) this is affecting our emotions there are tremendous forces at work the ashtar command is here the captain will be speaking anytime. No dates. Call us in. It takes all of us, yet just one. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Satnam namaste, blaze the violet fire. Now that's a mouthful. It seems like everything's been a mouthful tonight. Yes. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, I love you, but I passed the talking stick. Is there something that resonates with you from that, Caroline? Well, I'm wondering if Rama um, finished all his updates, if 
he had any more <clears throat> commentary from his contacts. Well, Rama's going to read uh, this last week's updates. Is there something else that you wanted to say about from your contacts that you, I think your contacts told you something. But what was it? Um, besides that there won't be a war in Ukraine. Um, it just looks like it. Oh, I know. It it, it, it looks like it, but it doesn't really, because there's been no response. Parking uh, <laughs> dog, yes. Thank you, Randy. So Putin isn't doing any of this? That's... Um, no, it's the oligarchs that are telling him, if you don't do this, we're going to kill you and everybody you love. Well, that is the explanation that the channel, that the collective gave today was I was channeling. Um, there you go. That, yeah, boy, it's freaking mind blowing. That's all I can say. That's as cool as I can yeah. yeah. The, so, oligarch, the oligarchs over here are telling Mr. Biden, the hologram, what to do. Yeah, yeah. Oligarchs over there are telling Putin what to do. Yeah. And that's why the galactic police are brachettes, because they can jump over the fence. <laughs> yes. And chase the dogs away. <laughs> yes. I could just say something here. Um, I'm yeah. seeing videos of Russian troops celebrating with Ukrainian locals who are welcoming the Russian army as peacekeepers. Now, uh, also, um, apparently, uh, most of the targets that were bombed uh, by Russia were 7 of 11 Pentagon biolabs destroyed in Ukraine that's nobody's talking about. Oh, my God. Interesting. Yeah. And, and all military airports are also apparently being destroyed because yes. they're all U.S.-backed and U.S.-funded and all of the U.S. weapons in there. Right. Wow. So Putin maybe chose those targets? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and um, from my understanding, they, they did their very best to make sure nobody was there either. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard that there have been a lot of casualties. Yeah. Um, okay. So, all oh, right. Also, uh, I think Don said he had something to sit, share with us, possibly. Don? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I hear what you guys are saying, but it's it's like the media. Everybody's touting the same old line, you know, and to be honest and fair, you know, Putin's been having to put up with a lot of the Western, westernized governmental bullshit. Right. Like you and I and everybody else have. And, yeah. and what's been going on in Ukraine, most people are oblivious to or just unaware of. And that is the U.S. has been arming the Ukraine, Biden, as you know, and folks, we don't want to go into the election and Biden and Biden and the head of the Ukraine and all that took place because you all know what occurred. And if you don't, well, then <laughs> then you got to kind of go back and, and uh, 
maybe look at a few alternative uh, media networks and news networks. But but the corruption there is vast. It's very vast. Uh, Biden's been tied into it for a while. And there's been a little blackmail and problems between Biden and the leadership of Ukraine, obviously. Even his yep. son is tied in there. Yeah. To be honest, Putin's just quite pissed. Because what's been going on is the corruption has been allowing the armaments of one faction against the other, like we do with the Serbs and Croatia, and and uh, we do it in Saudi Arabia, we do it in Iran, we do it in, uh, I mean, where don't we do it? To be quite honest, where don't we fund one group against the other? Because the bankers love that. They fund all the different sides and they move the pieces around the board. But in Ukraine, it's too close to Russia's borders. And they've been doing that, playing that, and they're arming these people. And there's been a lot of deaths, a lot of corruption. And it's allowing the United Nations, which is the lapdog of the World Economic Forum, and most of the heads of state that are the lapdogs of the World Economic Forum, which have all been taught to, you know, to uh, step toe-to-toe, you know, one foot in front of the other and do it this way. And and it's become a major, major headache and a problem. And it's growing. And it's grown to the point and with such a salacious and idiotic and very angry and and voracious um, uh, global order, which we now see coming into play, playing this out in Ukraine... Putin wants to put a stop to that. I mean, now, look, do I say Putin's a good guy? No. It, look, Putin owns the biggest home in the world. It's a billion-dollar home. Have you ever seen that in your life? No. He takes a cut of almost every ind- new industry and space industry and technological industry that's created. He gets his little cut. It's, he's kind of like the mafiosa boss. But then let's look at the United States. Would I rather have the mafiosa as it was compared to the way we are today? Yeah, they actually had honor. There was honor among thieves. Now there's no honor. There is no honor. So in other words, it's still an old paradigm. Putin's kind of like the head of the mafiosa. He's making it rich. He's the head of this, let's say, I don't know what you want to call it, It, uh, some sort of republic. It really is. I mean, really isn't. But they call it a Soviet republic, right? But here he is. He's a guy who's being cornered by a group of very narcissistic, moneyed, and very powerful and adamant people from the yeah. New World Order. And and this is headed right up from, I mean, we all know that the, the mouthpieces from the Council on Foreign Relations to, I mean, Again, it's coming right out of the World Economic Forum. Klaus is kind of spouting his mouth off, mouth off because, I mean, if you've seen him on that beach photo, you already know why he's spouting his mouth off, mouth off because he loves to hang his Peter out. <laughs> and, and, and he Bye. likes to be shown for the idiot he is. So he's spouting it off. They're taking their, they're taking their turns. But the United States has been arming the Ukraine. It's been deadly for the people. It's been ruinous for the economy. It's been dangerous for the uh, for uh, Russia, and he's saying enough's enough. 
I mean, really, that's what he said. Enough is enough. And he went in there and he's going to solve the problem. He's going to clear out one of the factions, the governmental ruling bodies of one of the factions, and he'll probably start to move into the rest of Ukraine and maybe clear out the government issues that the westernized government issues that we're seeing, which is blackmail, bribery, murder, extortion, and what have you. Mm-hmm. That's you, really what's going on. Now, no. I don't love no. Putin. The guy's uh, a gangster. He'll kill you if you're against him. Probably assassinate you. Um, you know, he's going to take his cut. You don't have a full capital. You don't have full free enterprise. You have kind of a quasi mix, you know, of let's say socialism, free enterprise, you know, under his tutelage. But again, it's much better than what we see coming out of the New World Order and the Great Reset. Now, that's my opinion for what it's worth. Okay. A little wordy, a little wordy. But it's hard to get all that out because there's a lot of meat there. Okay. Thank you, Don. Um, So, Rama and Tara, do you want to follow on that? Um, And Rama, we're happy to hear from your contacts as well. Uh, That would be great. We'll pass a talking stick to you. Okay. um, I guess I can go back to the 18th. I'm going to read from... What does that say? That's the 17th. Yeah, that's Friday. Okay. On Friday the 18th, the Dalai Lama... No, Friday was the 17th. Oh, Friday, the 17th was Thursday. Okay. Yeah. So Friday the 18th. Yeah, the Dalai Lama put out a video, Overcoming Negative Emotions, and we played that. And... On Friday, I went and sat in the plasma field at 11.50 today. The plasma field said to me, black holes are entrances to parallel universes and portals to other galaxies. As we connect with our divine emotions, we can access these light pathways to the other nine realms surrounding the earth. The dark side is playing out their last moments. That is their choice. Let it be. Our mission is about ascension. Stay in the high vibrations. See you in the light of the most radiant ones. Now now, this day plays the violet fire. And this is Monday, the 21st of February. I spoke with Lady Natasha this morning for a few minutes at 11.45. She said to me, Lord Rama, Putin has recognized the Donbass region as separate from Ukraine and as a self proclaimed Russian territory. The West wants a confrontation with Russia, yet Russia is not the enemy. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's that's yeah. very true. And thank you for letting me speak. Tara oh. Rama, 
You did Caroline. it all. You got, I appreciate you got it. it. I might have a little been a wordy, but then I've had a few shots of scotch, so bear with <laughs> We understand. <laughs> you. Thank you, Don. No worries. Thank you. Thank oh. you. You're a sweetheart. Appreciate you. The enemy is the propaganda coming out of the West. This is what all our terrestrial radio and TV stations are talking about, saying there are massive casualties with what Putin has done in the Ukraine. And no one has told me that that's so. And they, I don't know where to go with that. Please put all of this in the circle of support. The messages of higher the messages of higher wisdom and the astrology are saying, stay in the high heart. The old is falling away faster than we have the words for. Expect magic and miracles of the highest order. Satnam Namaste, blaze the violet fire. This is Tuesday. I received a call from the King of Swords, Lady Nada and Mr. X. They all said to me, Lord Rama, the statement the West is hysterical about Russia invading Ukraine is not true. Putin is exposing the new world order, old world order. It is about the old world order imposing sanctions and disapproving of Russia for choosing other trade partners, which, of course, infuriates the West because they have different ways of uh, currency exchange that don't have to do with the SWIFT system. The SWIFT system is corrupted because it's connected with the fractional banking system. Meanwhile, Mr. Axe said, The King of Jordan is being investigated by the ICC, International Criminal Court, for hiding huge amounts of money in offshore accounts. And all the oligarchs do that stuff. This is the people's, people of Jordan's money. In other galactic news, the sun has been sending out solar flares for the whole last month of January. And I've been watching this progressively. Every single day in January, there was some kind of activity with the sun. And this is moving right now with February. Um, Almost every day, there is some kind of activity and solar flares. The end of the matrix is really here. The higher energies are manifesting heaven on earth. Pluto is here transforming the old timeline to the new timeline. Um, and at this point, both Lady Nada and the King of Swords said, Lord Rama, you are seeing these new geometric patterns in the atmosphere. Describe them to us, meaning to both the King of Swords, Nada, Mr. X, and us, the faithful listeners. I proceeded to describe the geometric forms 
and the particles that sparkle. This is the bottle atomic gold that comes from the sun. The children of generation X, Y, and Z are seeing these same patterns as well as the rest of us. I see these things throughout the day and night. I've learned how to kind of integrate them to not interfere with looking at the paper or the screens on the computers, but I see them nonetheless, day, night, 24-7. It just doesn't ever go away. I kind of learn how to deal with what I'm seeing through my eyes. These are the elemental patterns called the builders of new forms, as we are now in a new energy, new forms are being created to reflect that energy. We are in the process of co-creating the new earth and everything is changing all the time. Grandmother Chandra sees these forms as well. She puts them in on her website, grandmotherchandra.com. The quantum field is here. Listen to the voice of oneness as Kryon speaks of it. Satnam Namaste, place of fire. This is yesterday, Wednesday. I talked by text to Natasha today at 11.09 a.m. She said to me, Lord Rama, I spoke to a member of the Duma. Russia's Congress, the equivalent of that person said to me, the Ukraine government sabotaged the Minsk agreement. This agreement has to do with Joe Biden. This agreement has to do with Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden making deals dirt cheap back in 2014. That in Ukraine. With the Ukraine. A little help from Shinzo Abe from Japan and Netanyahu put his 10 cents in too. I'll tell you what. Go ahead. That the United States were going to push for Ukraine to join NATO against Russia in the near future. Mm-hmm. All the timelines have changed. The quantum field is here. You can taste it, touch it, feel it. Stay in that realm. Do not allow false evidence appearing real to cloud your higher wisdom. The sun, our sun, Saul, is continuing to send out massive solar flares. The particles of light are raising us up as we choose. Satnam Namaste, please, the virus up here. This is today that Tara already read Thursday. And I just wanted to say, I'm going to put my heart on my sleeve and say we need help to kind of get through the next little while. We got quite a bit of bills and we need basics. And and we love you so much. Thank you so much. We owe money to bbs radio from last week still yes and there's nothing for this week which is next monday due. so um let's be generous uh this forum is the best thing that ever happened thank you bbs radio 
thank you for listening to all of this. (laughs) So people can donate through your website, Ramantar, rainbowroundtable.net. Yeah. Uh, There's a a donate page there. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So that's rainbowroundtable.net. Just go to the donate page. And um, really, I think it's as important as supporting any news source that is listener funded and completely honest, um, except that Ramantar can say things that the other alternative news sites can't say because they have protection around them that most people don't have around them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's important to help support them. And huge thanks to all who, who are doing that. So, all righty. If anyone has any questions about that news report, thank you so much, Ramantara. Uh, before we close out for the evening, um, it's it goes pretty deep that particular rabbit hole with Biden and his son, and um, boy, what's going on with the banks and uh, their anger about those com- those countries that don't follow the SWIFT system and uh, these the points at which there have been military strikes against Ukraine. And we pray that there'll be no casualties or very, very few and uh, not amongst the civilian population. And thank you so much to everyone for all of your input this evening. I think it's just been a really fascinating discussion that's hit on many, many interesting points. Uh, But if anyone has anything else to share. Alice. Alice, don't go down that rabbit hole. Them rabbits yeah. are really snakes. Well, I think <laughs> I think we're pretty far down it already, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I think we're there. <laughs> I think we've landed at some strange, uh, some strange place we weren't expecting. <laughs> but um, anyways, yeah, thank you to our wonderful listeners for being here with us this evening. And um Unless someone has anything else to add, we'll say good night. And Ramatar will be back at this time, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow evening, Friday evening, and then for their Saturday afternoon show as well. And again, rainbowroundtable.net. You'll find uh, a lot of the background of what they discuss in their updates, as well as a place where you can donate and use updates. And we should have a new one tomorrow or Saturday. So huge blessings. And many thanks to all the listeners, my wonderful uh, co-hosts and Penny and Michael on the panels, panels and um, it's ready with the music. That would be wonderful. We'll just give him a moment to have to get that on. Wonderful. Many blessings to everyone.